As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the Welcome to Anything is the Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, and we are coming to you the day after the Celtics take down the Miami Heat in seven games to win 100 to 96. The Celtics are going to the NBA Finals. They almost choked away the game. They were up by 13 <laughs> with three and a half minutes left to play. They made it the most stressful game in the world. Jay, you were there in Miami in FTX Arena. What the what the hell went on out there and how the how did the Celtics pull this one out? Well, I mean, they really controlled most of the game. They had an amazing start. They were pushing the ball. They were taking care of the ball. They were rebounding like hell. Uh, second quarter was bad. <laughs> like just so many, so many fouls. Could not keep Jimmy Butler off the line. I didn't feel like it was one of those things where the refs were screwing the Celtics or anything like that. Like those were legitimate fouls, well earned fouls. Kyle Lowry did a little grifting at the end of the quarter, but Kyle Lowry, Kyle Lowry did does some that from time to time. Phenomenal grifting at the end of that quarter. I think he got five points uh, to cut the. To cut the lead at the end of the half. That was that was some of the best Lowry grifting I've seen in a while. Yeah, and the Heat they kept coming, man. I got, for most of the game, I could not believe the Heat were as close as they were. And then they pull within three in the fourth quarter, early in the fourth quarter, and I just felt like the Celtics reached another level at that point. Heat didn't score for like five minutes after that. The defense was just unbelievable. They locked in. And I think that that was the stretch that showed that this Celtics team was ready. Like, they've gone through years where they weren't ready enough for the big moment. Dating back to the 2018 Conference Finals. And that's not fair to judge them off that because they were playing against LeBron James and they were all super young. Jason Tatum was a rookie. 
But then the bubble in 2020, same thing. Like every fourth quarter, it seemed like in that series, shit just went sideways. This time, Heat could come within three, just like it was in game six on the road in Milwaukee. You know, the crowd is going crazy. Everyone is ready for the home team to come back, and the Celtics just silenced everyone. And they almost gave it up at the end. (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say. They they did a really good job of almost giving it up at the end. But, oh, man. What, what What was your thought process when Jimmy Butler decides to pull up for that three? Oh, I thought it was, I thought it was like absolutely going in. Just the amount of, just his dominance in game six and his, him in ridiculous shots and him hitting threes, which is just generally not part of his game. Um, like you, you're feeling as good as you can feel as a fan being up 13 uh, with three and a half to play. And like, all the things you mentioned about the Celtics, like not responding in the clutch, like not making the right plays, like they had done all of that to kind of build up that lead. And I like I thought they still continued to make the right play down the stretch. Marcus Smart had two or three just wide open looks that just if he made one of them would have ended the game. And you thought they made the right play down the stretch. I mean, if to get market smart, like wide open looks, I think there's a few times like I don't think Jalen necessarily needed to attack the when they, he got called for the foul. But they were like the, the Heat were putting two on the on Jason Tatum and it felt like they were making the right passes. Like, I don't uh, my, looking my back, I don't was, think Marcus Smart's shots were that like were bad shots. I, I agree. They weren't bad shots. And I thought Tatum did a good job of getting off the ball during the double teams. But you can't just keep settling for threes when you keep missing them. Like, find a way to get to the scenes. Find a way to get to open space. Find a way to get somebody else a bucket. And then the thing that, to me, made a couple of those bad shots were that Smart took them with, like, 10 seconds left on the shot clock. You know, you can get that look whenever you want because you know the Heat are going to double Jason Tatum. And Marcus Smart will be there one pass away. So... Don't shoot it with 10 seconds left on the shot clock. Burn as if you're gonna play like that, burn as much time off the clock as you can before before you do it. But probably just don't play like that. <laughs> like, like they, they <laughs> well, do such is- a great job. They do such a great job of not settling most of the time when Jason Tatum gets doubled. And Smart has become so good at playing in the seams and getting guys opportunities off that double team. And I just felt like in those moments. There was too much settling. They were just playing prevent offense when when they would, obviously were still in danger. <laughs> that happened quick, man. It happened so suddenly where it was like, oh, the Celtics are in full control. They're up 13 with 335 left to 16.6 seconds left. Jimmy Butler is pulling up for a three that probably would have ended the series and ended the Celtics season had it gone in. It was. What you think about? It was Jimmy's such a quick turn. To- I was sitting there like, "Holy God, this would be the worst loss, one of the worst losses in NBA history, given the the stage and the the lead and everything else." Yeah, I was expecting Ime to call a timeout at some point. Like, let's calm down. Let's figure this thing out because you're right. It did, did happen very quickly. All of a sudden. Lowry hits a, like a random shot. 
another missed three. Um, that Struce, Struce three, three was three so tough. Was insane. And for him to just like not, that was what, he only had eight points in that game. For him to be able to just like hit that shot in that clutch moment was kind of wild. Um, but what do you that think of Jimmy's decision? That was such a decision? big shot. Good Lord. Does, what'd you think of Jimmy's decision to go for, go for the win instead of, uh, going for the tie? I didn't hate it. Uh, I, I mean, obviously he's, he's not the best shooter in the world and his game is predicated on getting to the hoop and getting to his spots normally in the mid range. But in that moment, like, for, first of all, he's tired. Everyone's tired. It was probably a daunting task <laughs> to think, like, <laughs> like I got to I gotta go create a shot against Al Horford, and then if it goes in, we got to get another stop. And then if we do get a stop, I got to go play five more minutes to make it 53 for the night. Do you really, you really think that's what he had, he had all that thought process in, the, in that? No, like, I, what, I don't. Four but seconds? I, do think- I think he just said, oh, we're going to win this fucking game. <laughs> I, I, yeah, that, I mean that that's certainly possible. He went for the kill shot, and I was when he pulled up, I was a hundred percent sure it was going in. <laughs> there was there was not a doubt in my mind that was going in, regardless of what the percentages say. When Jimmy Butler takes a big shot, you just kind of expect it to go in. He's one of those guys, but it did not go in. The Celtics survived. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I find it hard to blame him for taking a wide open shot against the best defense in basketball. You know, like it's tough to create a good look against the Celtics and he got a wide open one to go ahead in the game. And I don't know if, did did you see uh, John Schumann's tweet? He pulled up video of the final moments of Game Seven of the Sixers. Yeah, I was I was Raptors about to bring series. that up. Yeah, which was like almost a identical replica of of what happened in the Celtics Heat Game Seven. Kawhi missed a free throw. About eleven seconds left. Jimmy comes down in transition. In that situation, Serge Ibaka wasn't like perfectly set up. He didn't have the right angle to stop Jimmy, and Jimmy got all the way to the bucket, tied the game. Kawhi came back and ended the the Seventy Sixers, but Horford was in the right situation, right position this time, and it would have been tougher to get to the bucket. But you do wonder, like, if in the back of his head he's thinking, "I gotta put us ahead because." That Kawhi shit was not great. <laughs> that was not great to go through. Uh, but who knows? Also, who knows? yeah, it's like not wanting to go to overtime. I think that what the final quarter was 21-18 Heat, and that's the Heat had went on an 11-0 run in those final three minutes. So before that, the Heat only had 10 points in that fourth quarter. Like they, Jimmy, like looked gassed. I think he only had six points or maybe only four there in the fourth quarter. Like, I just think the heat ran out of gas there on the, on the Celtics defense and the Celtics, it was interesting. Like first quarter, they're dominant. They're pushing the pace. I think Marcus smart deserves a lot of credit for that game. or just like really trying to push the pace. They have 13 fast break points in the first quarter, zero in the second quarter. Felt like they kind of slowed down there. I think they thought the Celtics got back to kind of pushing the pace. 
there in the third quarter, and then and then in that response you mentioned um, in the early fourth quarter, and then everything kind of fell apart for their offense when they when they got to that prevent mode. But if that game goes to overtime, I still like the Celtics' chances just because the Heat could really not do anything on offense, uh, especially late. Like other than the the crazy run at the end, like the the Heat were struggling to generate any sort of good look there. Yeah, they they really. I mean, all series basically when they were in the half court. the The only game when their offense in the half court was even reasonable, I felt like, was Game Five or Game Six in Boston when, and that took like five or six last second end of shot clock makes for the Heat. And some ridiculous ones too, like some super tough. The Struce turn turning into a long three. The Jimmy Butler with Derek White's hand literally like an inch away from his eyeballs. Uh, yeah, but yeah, the, the whole series really. I mean, the Celtics defense in the half court this playoffs has just been incredible, and they are going to get tested in totally different ways by Golden State in the finals. Before we get to to previewing the finals, I, I do think it's worth kind of looking back at just the journey this core group of players has gone on because they've been through a lot, man. And uh, Eric Spolster said it in his post-game press conference. He's like, that's the way teams used to get built. You know, you you win, you experience success, you have a lot of tough times, you have to go through it all, you endure a lot of tough things, and then you have a breakthrough. And like when you think back to everything the group has gone through, the loss to LeBron, the loss the the next season when Kyrie like came back and shit was just bad. Like Everything was just bad. Then Kyrie leaves, Horford leaves, Kemba comes in. Things are cool for a little while, but they're not good enough. They lose in the conference finals again. Kemba gets hurt. His knees are shot. They go 500. Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown have their beef in the bubble. Marcus Smart, earlier this season, takes a shot at Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, and those guys were pissed about it. The whole locker room was pissed about it. like that. They were on edge, man. And for another couple of months, still played less than 500 ball. And somehow they were, they made it through all of that. And to get to the other side of that and emerge as the best defense in the league and beat Kevin Durant, Giannis, and Jimmy Butler touching God over – the first three series of the NBA playoffs. It's been a unexpected run from a team that this was once expected of. And I just think the the guys that have been through through it for all the years, it's really impressive that they were able to stick together and get through all of that stuff together and eventually get on the same page with with Ime Odoka and lead this team out of mediocrity. Because it was mediocre. This was a mediocre scrub team <laughs> for a while. And and they changed. They changed a lot 
Holy shit. Like it's or, or did I've never seen though? anything if, like if that. Jimmy Butler shot goes in. That's the that's the biggest choke job of all time. And it's kind of crazy how like how narratives can change that much. Um, and like him missing that shot. Now it's like the, the how much success this team has been. But like you're right. Just this year. But even if they had lost, it, that would have been the most excruciating loss ever. But so much good happened for them this season with Tatum and Brown advancing as playmakers, with Smart at point guard, not only unlocking the best defense in the league, but also being good enough offensively that they can thrive. And and then, you know, Robert Williams emerges, Grant Williams emerges, Peyton Pritchard deals with <laughs> being Dennis Schroeder's backup for a while and, and then, you know, continues to make progress behind the scenes and is ready when he gets his chance. So I, I Derek White shows up at the trade deadline and really, really plays well and, and fits in a lot of ways. Uh, so, you know, if even if that shot had not gone in, like this core still persevered through a lot. And I do think they were ready for the moment. I do think the last three minutes were more flukish than anything else. But they they still almost lost somehow. That was they got to stop going in to prevent prevent offense. They have to. That it seems like every time they go in to prevent offense, just bad shit happens. Yeah, and like yeah, it did seem kind of flukish with uh, just smart missing some wide open threes. The Struce threes like with a with a hand in his grill. The thing that's like just, I think, been the most impressive about this Celtics team, like we talk about the turnaround, talk about them being in 11th place at some point in January. It's the response to losses to me. You take out that one back to back in Toronto where they didn't play for their starters, um, but they have not lost two consecutive games, save for that one, basically in 2022. And the response to losses in the playoffs, um, Game six in Milwaukee, or yeah, game six in Milwaukee after just blowing game five. Game seven here against the Heat after, you know, getting like a close game six, but kind of a, a brutal game six loss at home to force a game seven. I just think their response, um, like they want, they were led this the entire game seven and they put themselves in a position where they could give up an 11 0 run at the end of the game and still pull it out. Like they were dominant there in that fourth quarter. And I just think like it's that I feel like they laugh about it now. It's like, Oh, we got to make it hard on ourselves. we got to make it like the hard way out. But they, you do, there is just like a confidence around this team. It's like, they're going to respond well to a loss. And when it comes down to like kind of brass tacks, like they're going to play like better basketball turnovers were not an issue here in this game seven. Um, and like, I think they like the formula for them, which they, it feels like they are much better at kind of applying is it comes after a loss is just playing phenomenal defense and not turning the ball over. And just every time they've been punched in the face, at least in this playoff run, it feels like they've had a huge response, um, which I think will, will definitely serve them well moving forward against the Warriors. Yeah, they should probably start winning games after wins too <laughs> hey they did in this series they won four and five <laughs> uh I, I was talking with my brothers about this and this may seem like a crazy comparison it 
may be off base, but their run so far feels sort of like the 2008 playoff run for the Celtics. Um, And theirs was different because they basically only won at home for a while, but, but it was similar in the sense that nothing was comfortable for most of that playoff run. Like they, they screwed up a bunch of times. They lost three games to the Atlanta Hawks when Al Horford was a rookie. And that Hawks team was like very mid and just made things really hard on themselves. But when they needed it, they always had it. And, you know, game seven of that Hawks series, they pummeled them. Game seven against LeBron, like LeBron was incredible, sort of like Jimmy Butler was, and they were able to fend him off. And this this Celtics team, it's been like, they really have made things difficult on themselves. Like they had the game five collapse against Milwaukee to set them up to need to win two games straight, including game six on the road in Milwaukee. But when that game six comes, they control most of the game. When Milwaukee comes back to cut it to to within four in the fourth quarter, Jason Tatum makes every shot and they just had enough in the key moments. So it, it sort of felt like that to me where this team is still figuring out how to win playoff games, how to win playoff series. But when they've needed it, they've been the better team no matter who they've played so far and and they've played like they couldn't have had a tougher path in the playoffs so far obviously chris middleton was injured so the bucks were a little compromised but they still played at a really high level they still had a great defense and they still had Giannis, probably the world's best player um so this this run like they've they've played some seriously tested teams and in the last two rounds some incredible defenses and and just figured it out and it's taken them a while to figure it out sometimes they've they've beaten themselves they've had a ton of turnovers they've they've screwed up plenty but they've figured it out enough to to survive you know those three series do you think that helps them moving forward against the Warriors, like having overcome that? Do you think they've like gotten over the hump and it, it gives them confidence moving forward? I think like a huge, obviously you'd rather, I think, have more rest just given how hobbled Robert Williams looked in that game. Um, Marcus Smart still like only a week ago, we saw his uh, foot and his ankle touching the ground at the same time. Like the, the Celtics feel like they could use some rest, but. How much confidence do you think that gives them moving forward against the Warriors, knowing that like when it comes down to brass tacks, we can we can figure this out, and like we are generally like believe ourselves to be the better basketball team? Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's probably a confidence there. Like you said, they haven't lost two legitimate games in a row in 2022. Is is that true? I think that's the stat. or since the middle of January, something like that. Whatever it is. Um, and and they've had responses for everything so far. That that said, the Warriors are just going to be a different type of test. Where, yeah, they were the number two defense in the regular season. I don't think their defense right now is quite at that level, just because they're playing different types of lineups. They're playing 
Jordan Poolmore. They're playing less size. They don't have Gary Payton, although he he could come back. They they haven't had Andre Iguodala. They haven't. Otto Porter's been in and out of the lineup. Uh, so I don't think their defense is quite at the level it was during the regular season. But the Celtics probably isn't either because Robert Williams is banged up. But I just think the Warriors' offense is just going to be a totally different test than anything the Celtics have played so far. Brooklyn had Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, but the rest of the guys, the Celtics were like, yeah, do whatever, guys. <laughs> like Bruce Brown, Nick Claxton, Goran Dragic, like, go ahead, fellas. And th- some of those guys had okay games at, at certain points, but they were, they were never going to do enough to beat the Celtics. But it's Steph, it's Clay, it's Jordan Poole who has emerged as a super like impact offensive player. Andrew Wiggins can get you twenty or thirty on any night. Draymond Green, like if he catches a ball in an advantage, always seems to make the right decision. So it's just I think this offense is gonna be a whole lot for the Celtics to deal with. And I think they're well equipped to disrupt the Warriors in ways that very few teams can. But still, like, it's a totally different challenge, and it is a challenge that you have to be sharp every single possession. And I do wonder, with Robert Williams, the way he looked um, movement-wise in Game 7 against Miami, like, just the type of impact he'll be able to have in that series because it's tough to find a hiding spot against those guys because even the guys who can't score are used as screeners for Steph, for Clay, for everybody else, and they force you to really guard the perimeter in a way that will test Robert Williams's knee quite a bit. Yeah, if, he, if Robert looks at all like he was in Game 7, like I think he was actually not helpful to Celtics. He was flying out on closeouts that just... And just I thought completely- he was okay. Like he 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 impacted some shots near the rim, but he definitely wasn't moving like he normally does. Out on the perimeter, I thought he was like bad and just like yeah. would close out and then just got like not recover in a way you think like you're used to Robert Williams doing. Um, yeah, like the, the Struce uh, three was it the one that got waved off? Uh, it might have been, or I, I think, think it was, it was the like one the, that got waved off where he went and closed out and then Struce like did the sidestep and Robert Williams like is the best probably big man at recovering in that situation. Like he jumps and then he's able to recover and still impact the shot. And he wasn't anywhere close. No. And he did not look great. I mean, that's that, the reason that they call closed was crazy, with by the way. It was at, not something I've uh, seen before, but I've seen the people <laughs> tweeting out the rule books. And apparently uh, the replay center can do that. Um, but why? Like he was out of bounds, bruh. Agreed, but like guys step out of bounds throughout the course of a game, and you can never review it and change the the play. You can, I, you I can. That That's it, what it that, was. Sakakis only... can put Sakakis can put the phone on and just call him down. And say Scott Foster, Sharice was out of bounds. Call it off. And then to to wave off three points, and it was it really was like a critical juncture. It was like it was a five point swing in the middle of the game, and they just the like Heat were trying to come back. And then the Celtics had a little bit of a response, and then the Celtics got an extra three points. And all of a sudden, it was like it went from 
I think it was two at one point, or would have been two if Struess's three accounted. We thought it was two at one point, and then it was like 13, three minutes later, partly because they wiped out Struess's bucket. He also might not have actually been out of bounds. That was extremely close. His heel may not I, have been touching. I've seen some angles where he's clearly out of bounds. I've seen the documents. Uh, he was, His heel was down. He was out. We just... uh. Sakakis has not shared them uh, publicly. We only saw one angle on the broadcast, but yeah, no, absolutely a wild thing to happen in Game Seven of the playoffs. Just being like, oh, we reviewed that play from eight minutes ago, and we're going to say no three. Um, just not something you're used to in the playoffs. Getting back to the Warriors series, I think it's going to be one. Robert Williams' health is going to be fascinating because I think one of the Celtics' advantages in the series, or potential advantages is their size and that they just been a bigger team all year and definitely as good as Grant Williams has been he's just not as big and not as impactful as Robert Williams who knows if like the the greater rest in between games will kind of allow Robert Williams to be more impactful but like you're talking about the Warriors offense it's like all of those players are much more dynamic but just their motion and their movement and their kind of inventive like improvisational play is just such a wildly different thing than like what the uh the past three teams have played so basically it was like against the nets it's like okay we're just going to focus all our attention on kd and uh the bucks was like we'll focus all of our attention on Giannis and force other guys to shoot it against miami it was kind of like just try to slow down jimmy butler but miami's offense just like did not do anything with the with the Warriors, obviously Steph is going to draw so much attention, but they just have, they're constantly moving, constantly cutting. Like the switch, everything just becomes that much harder with all the off ball movement that the Celtics, uh, or that the Warriors create. It's just so much more of a, I think a mental challenge for the Celtics to be able to kind of adjust. Like I would not be shocked if the, the Warriors just like blew the doors off them in game one, just because I think it's going to be a huge adjustment for the Celtics. Um, and then on the other side of the ball, I know it feels like they're like the, the Celtics in, in the box series and, and definitely down the stretch of the heat series, it feels like they're just trying to target their worst defender. It was Struess. And then in the, against the bucks, it was, um, Grayson Allen or George, George Hill. Hill. So it's, friend yeah, of the friend, of the pro, friend of the program, George Hill with the warriors. It feels like that is Steph or Jordan Poole. I think Steph, just because he's a smaller guy, doesn't get like enough credit as being a pretty solid defender. I also think the Warriors do a pretty good job of like protecting him on defense, like getting him out of the situations. Cause it felt like the Mavericks tried to go at Steph as well. What do you think the Celtics, I guess, potential advantages are in this series? And like what, what are their strengths going up against this Warriors team? I think their size, especially on the perimeter, could be really important because. You know, the, the, the way that the Warriors are banged up some on the wing and the way that they're constructed in the first place, they just don't have a lot of long wings. You know, Draymond Green can cover up a lot. Kevon Looney is a really good defender who never gets enough credit for what he does. But the guys on the perimeter, Steph, Clay, and Jordan Poole, are all just small. And and Clay is compromised by injury a little bit. He's been, I mean, really, like after two years off, he's been fantastic for being two years off. But he's also not quite at the level athletically 
that he was before the injuries. And even in the best, like, he's not, like, the huge imposing wing. And I think the Celtics will have places to to pick at um, during the series. And like you said, the, the, the Warriors are great at hiding Steph, and Steph is great at competing and making things tough anyway. Um, but I, I, I do wonder with with some of the lack of size that the Warriors have on the wing if it will be really tough for them to guard Tatum and Brown especially and like with Luka they were cool with you know showing and recovering and all of that it's a lot tougher when the guy you're playing against like three-point shot is a real threat and something you want to take away versus Luka you're like okay if he makes that it's not the worst thing in the world because he's not a great shooter. Um, so I, I I do think they'll they'll challenge the Warriors in ways that the Warriors haven't been challenged yet. Like the the Grizzlies were great, but they don't they didn't have like big wings who were going at the the Warriors. Um, the Nuggets they had Jokic who's amazing, but nobody else. And the the Mavericks like. They didn't have much much size or athleticism, at least with beyond Luca, um, with guys who were attacking. It was like Jalen Brunson, who's six one, and Spencer Dibbity, who's six three or whatever he is. But I just think that's going to be different. Uh, to me, the biggest challenge for the Celtics is just like after you play Giannis, you just want to protect the paint, right? You play Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, you just want to protect the paint. The Warriors just force you to guard so much more geography, and I think it'll it'll force the Celtics into more scramble situations than they've been used to. And like like you said, it's just totally unlike anything that they've played against in this playoffs. That offense and the movement and the three point shooting, especially from from the best guys. Like it's not Max Struess out there you're chasing around. It's not Duncan Robinson. I think obviously Marcus Smart will be big in this series guarding whoever, but I think Derek White could be pretty important yep. chasing around shooters because he's great at it. That dude is incredible at chasing shooters around screens and contesting without fouling. And like that is one of his gifts. And I think him versus Jordan Poole or him versus Stephen Curry will be just a fun matchup when he's out there. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I think like the Warriors are going to try and get the Celtics to go small and just make it a, a, a kind of run-and-gun series. And Derek White, I think, will be exceptionally important in doing that. I think it's an interesting thing in this Heat series is we saw the Celtics go away from like the, the basically switch everything, playing a lot more drop, trying to protect the paint. Obviously, you can't play drop against the uh warriors just because like you don't want to invite Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, or Jordan Poole just like taking open shots. I think it's gonna be interesting to see how much they try to get the ball out of Curry's hands. Because if any team is like experienced at playing four on three and getting baskets, and I feel like we saw the Warriors do this throughout their playoff run this year, is just like Draymond Green quick passes to Looney for easy dunks. Can they survive in kind of a switching defense? How comfortable are you? letting 
Steph go one on one against Al Horford. Like, I, Al Horford's been absolutely amazing, and he deserves all the credit in the world for just the amount of defense he's been able to play. But if it's multiple possessions over and over again of Steph going one on one against Al Horford, I feel like Steph's going to win that uh, that battle over the long run. And so it's like, how do you? Do you do you stay in that kind of switching everything defense, or do you kind of just try to attack the ball, get that out of Steph's hands, then play four on three? I think kind of the the mind games, the kind of what the changes over the playoff series are going to be fascinating. I think this is also you mentioned with the the two wings how dangerous the Celtics can be. I think that's what makes them so good. Is that I imagine they're going to try and put Andrew Wiggins on Jason Tatum. And probably show a lot of help there and try to get the ball out of Tatum's hands. And I think it's an opportunity for Jalen Brown. He's just much better than Jalen Brunson or Spencer Dimwitty. He's, I think he has a potential to have a, a really big series just because, um, with how Clay's defending, I think Jalen Brown has a step on him. If Jalen Brown can control the turnovers, um, which he did a better job of game seven, but I, I also thought he did an amazing job of, dribbling dribble hesitations to getting to the rim he was had some really strong drives in that game and i think he's gonna have the one cross-court pass he threw to marcus smart was just awesome where he jumped and he's fading away toward the left corner throws it over to marcus smart for three in the right corner that was just that showed off all the development that he's had over the years all of it and i think that he's gonna have to have a big series because I think the strategy against the Celtics is just like get the ball out of Tatum's hands, show a lot of help to Jason Tatum. And I think that's what makes the Celtics so good is that they have this second star, this second big wing who can dribble, penetrate, get to the rim is a like amazing in transition, but then also just like in the half court can really uh, drive and penetrate when he does not dribble the ball off his foot or when he's not, I mean, the Warriors are going to do the same exact thing that the the Heat did and just try to basically strip Jalen Brown anytime he puts the ball on the floor. It's going to be interesting to see if he can kind of main like, you know, not turn the ball over every single time. But I do think he has the potential. Just like that's a, a I think a pressure point for Warriors is like how do they defend if they're throw showing all this help to Tatum and the ball swings to Jalen Brown or even just like a bigger like guard like Marcus Smart who I thought did a a very good job in Game Seven of the Heat and uh, pretty much he's done. A, a decent job of this all year of, of driving and just like those little random Marcus smart shots that just like don't, they shouldn't go in, but he's just like has this nice touch around the rim. Um, I think those two guys, if they can kind of have an effective series scoring in the paint, it's a huge boon for the Celtics. Yeah. And I, I, I wonder if the Warriors can turn over the Celtics like, like Miami did. Because that could I don't really think it's possible. change the series. Miami plays the most intense physical defense I'd seen in the league this year. They were absolutely insane with their ball pressure and their physicality. And I think the Celtics are just like, are, will be the more physical team, or at least I hope so in the series. Like Miami was, it was a battle every, for every inch on that court. Um, I was actually surprised PJ Tucker didn't play at all. Uh, in the fourth quarter there. I don't know if he was hurt or what the issue was, or they just thought like Oladipo's shooting is what they needed. But like he was beating up Tatum the entire time. I thought Lowry was doing a good job. Butler doing a good job. Gabe Vincent. I just can't imagine the the Warriors are going to be as physical as the Heat were. Yeah, and I'm looking at the the stats um, for turnovers forced. And Golden State is 12th among the 16th playoff teams. 
in turnovers forced. And obviously part of that is they played Luka Doncic, who doesn't turn the ball over much. And they played the Memphis Grizzlies, who I believe are also a low turnover team. Um, but they, they, I do think it'll be tough for them to, to cause as many turnovers, to cause as much havoc as the heat did. And, but that, that's a huge key to the series. Obviously after how sloppy the Celtics have been at times is can they take care of the ball? And especially can their two main stars, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, take care of the ball. Jalen was just had some super sloppy moments during that heat series it was like anytime Victor Oladipo was on him it was like the ball was gonna get deflected someone was gonna pick it up it was it was an adventure every time so they've got to clean some of that up because if you do that and get Steph free looks and get Clay free looks and get Jordan Poole free looks then you get Chase Center loud as hell and and you don't want that. You don't want any of that. I think turnovers are also important on the other side of the ball. Like I think the Warriors have a tendency to play a little sloppy. Steph's going to throw a behind the back pass that goes to no one. Like the the Celtics really need to punish them in fast break, and I think that really benefits. And that's when the Celtics are playing their best when their defense can create turnovers and they can play in transition because. You know, scoring in the half court is obviously not the the strength of really any team. No team's like, oh, we ex- we're much better in the half court than we are in transition. But I think if the Celtics can capitalize on kind of the the Warriors' sloppiness, it would be a huge advantage for them um, moving forward. Indeed, indeed. I, you got a you got a, a way too early prediction for this series. Celtics in six. Ooh. Give me the biggest reason why. I think their defense will at least take away some of Golden State's flow. I think they'll be able to switch a lot and have size everywhere and length everywhere on the shooters. And I think their size offensively is going to matter. I think it's going to be very difficult for Golden State to match up in this series with some of the lineups that they play. Uh, and with some of the guys that they have out or banged up. Um, I do think it's, it's very concerning for the Celtics that they're a little banged up, that Marcus Smart, although he was great in the third quarter, man. Like, that third quarter he played kind of won them the game. Like, the Heat were coming back, and Smart just made play after play during that third quarter. He was, he was really damn good. Um, but with Robert Williams hobbled, uh, after two straight seven-game series, I think the last 11 games were with just one day in between games. So I know from just writing, like I'm fucking wiped out, and I just write, man. <laughs> I just write words. I just watch the game. The players have to be really, really exhausted at this point from from the grind of of all the minutes, all the travel. And I, I do think that's a major concern for the Celtics heading into the series after all the time the Warriors have had off. And then the other concern is just that the Warriors are awesome. <laughs> Stephen Curry's <laughs> awesome. Draymond Green is awesome. Like the, Those guys have been through it. Those guys have been through it together. They know how to win. And the Celtics are still figuring that out. Um, 
but they figured out a lot already and and I do think there are some pressure points that that they can push on with this Golden State defense as good as the Golden State defense is I just feel like there are some places that Boston can get to that that can test them I think the key for the Celtics is just not having a, a meltdown quarter. Like I just don't think they can afford to have kind of the the fourth quarter in Game Five against the Bucks or the third quarter they had in Game One against the Heat. Just the the games in which they get like everything goes wrong for them. Was it Game Three where they had like seven turnovers? They just can't have the the kind of those awful quarters. Um, where they just like lose basketball games in one of those times. I think if like, cause when they have played like kind of just like mentally tough and strong basketball, when they have not turned the ball over, when they've relied on their defense, they've, they've won and they've been the better team in pretty much every game that they've played. And so I agree with you. I think they, they have the advantage in this series and hopefully they can learn from their, their near, like having to go seven games in the past two series and show like, Showing that, like, you can't just have these like mistake games. You cannot throw away games, especially against this Warriors team. And so, I think if they play like 48, 48 minutes in every single game, I think they're going to be in every game. Um, and so, I agree. I would pick Celtics in six right now. Uh, we shall see. They all they need to do is steal one on the on the road right now. They've been amazing. They've been a way better team on the road than they have at home. They won three games in Miami. And they've lost some bad games uh, in TD Garden, so it's going to be interesting to see what that dynamic is. Before we go, we've got some people waiting here live in the athletic room, so we'll hear from them. Michael M., thanks for joining us here on Anything's Potable. How are you doing? Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Michael M. I have clicked the button and is not working. The people out there, the, the the powers that be, don't want us to hear from Michael M. So let's try Richard D. Richard, how are you doing? What's up, guys? You know I'm ready. <laughs> Always. Always. Yeah. Man, I got to laugh at myself on this one. Um, the Bobby Kremens, both teams end up playing seven players plus a couple minutes, and uh, and they fought through it, and it was a great, it was a great seven. 
game series. So I was totally wrong on that. I didn't think there's a way these guys could be playing 40 minutes and playing the way they're playing. So kudos to them. And uh, I think I think Jay hit on it earlier. But I think the turning point, ironically, in today's society is when Marcus Smart showed his ass and said, you know, these are two little selfish punks need to pass the fucking ball in, in his own words. And, and they, as you know, they had internal discussion about it and it could have gone either way. And, uh, and I think it's really mature when you think about it. Cause think about it. Marcus Smart, um, so Tatum is in his what, his fourth year? Is that right? Fifth year, fifth year. Is it fourth yeah, year? 19? Fifth year. And then your fifth year. And then, uh, and then, but so my point is, all of a sudden, he learned to pass the ball. I mean, come on. He didn't pass the ball for four years. So there was a meeting of the minds, and where I'll give credit is this coaching staff took that to heart and then sat down with it. And to give Jalen Brown and, and, and Tatum, think about it. Their whole life, they've never had to pass the ball, right? If you've seen them in AAU, they would have got benched if they passed the ball. So so I think it's really mature that these, I'm going to say kids, uh, I've really like learned to play team basketball, and I, I think it took a, a, a salty veteran to call them out. I don't think they've ever been called out before, and obviously the coaching staff backed it up. But I think the camaraderie is incredible. I think it's great. Uh, I, I I'm amazed they're doing this with seven players, but it but it's funny because it's not the same seven, right? Like when Williams is out, they'll bring someone else in. And and the minute flow guy, seems about the same. So had, had, I, I hope they can guy, your guy do it. Had, had a few incredible blocks. Yeah, you know, I just like that. I love. Here's the difference. Did you see? After you saw it, you hold here. But after the game, look at the enthusiasm. You can't fake that. There's no pouty patties out there that are at, at the end of the bench. I mean, everyone on that team was jacked up. Aaron hadn't sniffed it, and he's jacked up, excited, right? And to the point that. The little bit he gets in, look at the energy he's bringing. So I, I give kudos to this coaching staff. I, I'm, 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 I'm surprised and amazed how quickly he turned it around, but this could last a long time. These are young, these are young kids and there's a lot of talent that, that isn't getting minutes yet. So I, I, I like it. I know you guys are happy. Well, appreciate the, uh, the call there, Richard. I think we, we do have to talk a little bit about Ime Udoka. Um, I thought, yes, the Marcus Smart calling out uh, the Tatum and Brown for not passing was like a, a, a kind of a, a key moment and one that I don't think initially went over well, but clearly had some long-term dividends. But Ime Yudoka is a guy who I think what is his introductory press conference where he was like, where he's talking about in front of the, the team, the guy who coached the team last year is like, our assist rate last year was awful. And it's like, not, not to, not to shit on you, Brad Stevens, but we didn't pass the ball whatsoever. And it feels like something, a point of emphasis for him the entire season. And it definitely, I don't know if it's just like the, the Celtics needed a new voice uh, for them, or I don't know exactly what Ime has done to get through to them, but it just his coaching job to be able to kind of coach them through this turnaround and to really like develop a, a, a culture or there, there is a lot of ball movement um, and their resilience. I don't know, whatever, whatever Ime Yudoka has done this year, uh, even if it is his hardo moves, uh, they've worked every single time. And so uh, I think a lot of credit uh, goes to him for reaching the NBA finals in his first year after just like a disastrous, disastrous start to the season. 
his decision just to cancel shoot around was a smart one too. Just knowing how tired I was. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to go to shoot around. <laughs> they canceled shoot around. I literally got up till noon. I, I woke up at noon and I went to bed at midnight, woke up at noon and felt more refreshed than I had in weeks. And I'm not saying that was the reason that the Celtics won, but because you because you felt refreshed. <laughs> no, but I, I imagine that that players, some players, also needed a little bit of time off and a little bit of rest. And I know some players still went to shoot around anyway and, and did some work. Um, but I, I do think like that's just a smart decision that, that shows he has a, a finger on the pulse of his team. He, he's been great. He's been great instilling the right habits, uh, keeping the team together when things were tough. Like he had a tough job this year and, and he just kind of pulled them through everything. And he's been, um, hard on the team when they've been bad, which has been kind of refreshing, but I also feels like what he needed was the, uh, after game five, it was Jalen had that horrible first half and then turning around. It's like, what was the difference in that game? It's like, well, Jalen stopped turning the ball over. It's just like his, his matter of fact answers are just been fantastic, uh, this season. And I feel like he's like one of the reasons you have to give him some credit for like one of the reasons why they've been able to be so responsive to these losses and, and responded so well is like he's been very objective about what they've done wrong and what they, uh, John C. Thanks for joining us here on anything's part of how you doing, John? How you doing? Good, good, good. Hey. Guys, your uh, prediction on six, I'm afraid that's not going to happen. <laughs> John, do you hail from the Bay Area? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> and I've been watching the Warriors for a while. <laughs> the Warriors are the best shooting team in the history of the NBA. This is true. Okay. Everybody who plays the Warriors tries to double Steph Curry. This is not new. Everybody tries it. Have you heard of Clay Thompson? I have, yeah. I'm pretty sure you have. Have you and 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 this is the downfall to that strategy when you try to double Steph. Jordan Poole, Clay Thompson, even Wiggins will kill you. You just can't do that to the Warriors. They're just too good of a shooting team. Yeah, I think the Celtics my advice would be just to man them up and, and do the best you can. Yeah, not I try to double somebody. They'll they'll try to switch a lot. I think a lot. Yeah, will, will fall on Al Horford. Like, is Al Horford good enough to switch out onto Stephen Curry and at least make things difficult for him? And I don't know that he will be. Al Horford has been great in switches against all types of players all season long. But that's just a lot to ask of a, a big man. It's, so I, I, yeah. I do think a lot will be on him. A lot will be on the, their man coverage. I, I don't think they're going to want to to double Steph. They'll, they'll give him different looks sometimes, but sending two to Steph is often just a path to death. Yeah, it's a path to death. I mean, if you've got Poole in the same lineup with Clay and Steph and Wiggins, you got all kinds of problems. I mean – you, you can't double anybody and you hope for the best defensively and you got to watch those guys cutting. Um, a lot of times they start cutting toward the rim 
there's the bounce pass inside to Draymond or somebody, and you get frustrated and you start sagging in, and that's when the death lineup kills you. They start raining threes. Pretty soon you're behind by 15, 16, 17 points. You change your strategy. Warriors have got you. Only way you beat the Warriors in this series is if there's a bad shooting night by at least two of the Warriors in two or three games. If those guys are on, forget it. No chance. Pray that they have a couple of off nights and they don't shoot well and Boston gets ahead. If the Warriors win the first two games in, in San Francisco, Celtics are done. They'll never catch up. If they can if they can get a game in San Francisco, I think they got a good shot. If they go back to Boston down two, you might as well start writing the articles. <laughs> it's <laughs> over, man. It's <laughs> they go yeah. down two games going back to Boston, this series is over. I think they got a shot if they can play man defense and hold those guys to maybe 10, 15 points. Don't let anybody go off. I think the Celtics got a chance. I think they got a chance. Um, they've got good players. Tatum, you know, I, I, I'm not sure if anybody, Warriors have anybody that can really hold him down. Um, if, 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 if GP2 plays, um, they'll let him guard him sometime. Clay will guard him sometimes. Um, as for Jalen Brown, they'll probably put Wiggins on him most of the time and see what he could do with him. And, and, and sometimes, but that's, but, but, but that's the way I think they'll go. But unless those guys have a bad shoot night, this party's over quickly. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just, I'm just telling you, man, I've seen the Warriors play six, seven years now. I'm a season ticket holder. If they're healthy. And nobody gets injured. Boston hasn't got a prayer. Well, <laughs> thanks for the call, John. Yeah, I mean the Warriors have been to six finals in the last eight years. They are a a, a damn good team, and so um, I think it's going to be a tough one. The Celtics all have been fantastic on the road this year, and I do think taking one of the first two games will be uh, incredibly important for them. Um, but we shall see. Interesting to get uh, the perspective from those in the Bay. This is what happens when I uh, also tag the Warriors here on the Athletic app. We get a lot more fans from around the league. So uh, hopefully we'll do that more moving forward. Our final call of the day will come from Philip D. Philip, how are you doing? Hey, guys, how are you? Doing well. I wasn't going to say anything until I heard the Warriors uh, caller come in. And uh, all I got to say is I know we're talking about the future here. But you guys talked about this. Jimmy Butler was incredible. A, a man. I feel like every series the Celtics have faced one dominant player and a former another. You had KD at the Nets. You had Giannis, who's the scariest player ever. But just the mentality that Jimmy brought. I, I was sitting there shaking in my boots every time he touched the ball. I thought that three was going in. And there's just a lot of admiration from my side looking at that. When it comes to the Warriors, I think, you know, it's – it's a scary team, man. I grew up in a household in Boston where we were always the losers. You expect the Sox to lose. You expect the Bruins to lose. You expect the Celtics to lose. There's something about this team that makes me a little bit nervous when they're up. Like, we talk about their ability to bounce back. They're comfortable being down. They're comfortable coming back. But when they're up, they play slow. They get, they're get they slower into their offensive formation. I just think it's important for them to 
keep the pace throughout this coming series. It's important for them to really ensure that they're they're continuing to drive the ball forward because, you know, as we talked about, right, with Miami, it's okay to play slow because they don't really score. Jimmy Butler's just a man and he kind of elevated a level and, and he made it close. But with the Warriors, if we're just happen to be up 10, that's not enough. 20's not enough. 30's not enough. <laughs> you got 40's not enough. You got to play your ball. And I just hope that this team going into this series, you know, we talk about how good we are on the road. The Warriors are undefeated at home. So, and I know Miami was too and all of that. And I think we do match up well, but it is, it's just a different beast. And I'm hoping the Celtics are able to rest, reflect, and seriously, just keep keep the pace on offense if they do happen to go up in this series because they are not going to be able to do what they've done in these games. You guys talked about this. They can't have that. If they slow it down and say, okay, listen, we're going to wait till there's 10 seconds left on the shot clock to then begin our like our f- offensive moves and try to drive and kick it out, there's just not enough time. They, uh, they got to keep playing and be aggressive. And, uh, you know, obviously I hope the Celtics win. You know, I, I think everybody's saying Celtics six. What else can you say when you have a Celtics audience, right? But like, we gotta keep we gotta keep it moving because I could see this series going in a thousand different directions. That's what keeps it exciting. But I'm I'm hopeful. But I will say at this point in time, I'm not confident. The Warriors are they're a different beast. I appreciate it. Thanks, Philip. And I I agree. I think it's going to be the biggest challenge for the Celtics in the playoffs. Like. The Nets obviously had KD and not much else. The the Bucks without Middleton, like Giannis is absolutely a beast, but the other guys were there um, or not there. And then the Heat just really felt like it was only Jimmy Butler. I feel like you have Steph Curry, one of the dynamic scorers of all time, but just the team around Steph Curry is very solid. The 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 Warriors have the second best defense in the league this year. I think that they. They have the combination, which I think the Celtics have, which is like that one main star, whether it be Curry or Tatum, but then they have like the rest of the infrastructure around them to support that star. And so it's not just kind of going up against the the one guy on the other team. I feel like it's the going up against uh, the most complete team in the NBA that that's not the Celtics. And so I do think fittingly, this will be their biggest test in the NBA finals. It should be a good one. <laughs> Jay King, are is, is are are you flying across country is it, to to go to this finals? Yeah, buddy, it's uh, it's not a short flight to San Francisco. <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> well, is is Jay King in the Bay potable? Yeah, 